Hi everyone, I'm Steph Collada, and this is Veteran Legislative Voice, Episode 1. I started The Voice three years ago, just as a page to help people understand the legislative process so they can help others. This was when everyone felt so helpless in the response to the Vanessa Guillen scandal. This opened up the conversation on social media about the systematic mess in the military's sexual harassment and assault programs while using the hashtag IamVanessaGuillen. Feeling helpless is actually a pretty common feeling in the military. The majority of the military is made up of E4 ranks and below, who have the least amount of power. Often, they do not have the power of when they work, where they work, and what they do when they're at work. They also don't even have the power of where they are stationed, which has become a big subject of contention when it comes to reproductive health care. But I'll discuss that in later episodes. So this is about empowering people to make a difference. So let's begin. What can an everyday person do with these types of things happening in the world? What they can do is contact their elected official, depending on the level of the issue. For example, if this was about the military policy, excluding some aspects of the National Guard, Contacting your U.S. representative and senators would be the way to do it. First, Google who they are. Then make a call. And yes, it's just as easy as it sounds. The first person you will likely reach is someone that is underpaid or an unpaid intern. So be gentle with these people. They are the gatekeepers and they have more power than they realize. Then ask for whoever is in charge of the military or veterans policy issues or whatever issue that you're concerned about. Call the DC office for policy issues. Call the office local to you if it's more of a personal issue, like if it's a military discharge upgrade. If you aren't getting anywhere with your immediate elected official, some have been known to turn down assistance when introducing legislation if they're not assigned to a certain committee that it needs to be submitted through. So if that happens, contact either the chairman or ranking member of the applicable committee. They're willing to assist people outside their district or state to get some legislation passed. Now, that might be easy or sound like it's easy, but the hard part is next. After the bill is introduced, It must be reviewed and marked up in whatever committee it's assigned to. Then the committee votes on it to be reported to the entire chamber. Once it's reported, it's ready to be voted on in either the House or the Senate that it started in. After it's passed, it would be sent to the other chamber, and the process starts again. If the second chamber makes any changes to the bill, then it'll go back to the original chamber to review the edits. What really helps in this process is having constituents contact their elected officials. While your elected official's position may be against what you want passed, it's still important to let them know. The New Yorker shared a story of a certain red state elected official after gun regulation legislation was moving through Congress after the massacre at Sandy Hook. It's called What Calling Congress Achieves by Katherine Schultz. I encourage you to go read that. This elected official asked their staff what's the feeling going on with their constituents because they had been calling all day, ranting and raving about the legislation going through. His staff told him that everyone but one person wanted him to vote against the gun regulation. But because of that one person, he voted for the regulation anyway. 
for that one person. Now back to our segment of how a bill becomes a law. After the bill is passed in both chambers in its final state, it'll go to the president, who may veto it or sign it into law. If a president vetoes a bill, it requires two-thirds vote in both chambers to override the president's vetoes. This doesn't happen very often. The veto override passing, I mean. This last happened on military and veterans issues under the Trump administration, and it was the National Defense Authorization Act, which keeps the government still running and moving by the funding. And in this bill that the president did not like was the stipulation that six military bases who have been named in the honor of Confederate generals be renamed to something else. The drama part of that is that President Trump did not state or tell Congress that he did not like that direct order in the National Defense Authorization Act, otherwise called NDAA. He didn't say that until the very last revision and approvals were already completed. So the elected officials, those in charge of Congress, decided to move it to his desk anyways. After he vetoed it, it went back to Congress, and the House and the Senate were able to override his veto. This is pretty difficult, especially since both chambers were close to a 49-51% split. So having two-thirds of each chamber to approve it was a pretty big deal. Now, back to our segment. In the past decade, 2-3% to of all legislation becomes law. And I know that is pretty discouraging, but I tell you it's possible, especially for military and veterans issues. Many changes in processing military sexual violence reports have been made in the last few years because of the tireless efforts of grassroots advocates, all in the name Vanessa Guillen. The Brandon Act specifically passed not long ago because of Petty Officer 3rd Class Brandon Casarda's parents. After their only son's death by suicide because of the toxic work environment that he was in, they fought to pass protections for every service member to receive mental health treatment without any recourse on their career. Terry and Patrick Casarda fought for three years, even driving cross country multiple times from their home state of Arizona to DC to fight for this protection so that other military parents will not have to go through the same tragedy that they had to go through. My last example is the Honoring Our Pact Act a result of the campaign run by veterans and their families, headed by Burn Pits 360, who were impacted by toxic exposure to burn pits. Because of that, post-9-11 and Gulf War veterans are eligible for one of the most inclusive presumptive condition lists ever in this country's history. They were also helped by John Stewart, who is fresh off the campaign of helping 9-11 responders and their health care support due to their toxic exposures when the Twin Towers fell. So join me. And we'll cover congressional bills and other public policy actions that will impact the military and our country's veterans. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and X under the name Veteran Legislative Voice. You can also find my website, vetslegislativevoice.org, 
or email me at vetslegislativevoice at gmail.com. I'd love to hear what you have to say, what you want me to talk about, and I can't wait to start this journey with everyone here. Thank you.